I brought my box of groceries or my bag a week early, peanut butter and all that stuff. Well, we've been talking about the Bible here for a number of weeks now, and um, more to be said, <laughs> all these different perspectives. I started reflecting myself on the Bible and its role in my life and, and, uh, and kind of how things have changed, how it's evolved. I grew up in a Christian church, made a decision very early to follow Jesus Christ, and so the Bible's kind of been a part of my life in some way or another for a lot of years. And so I kind of started thinking through, and I thought I'd bring some in to kind of walk through a little bit of not all of them, but, and this isn't the actual one, but you know, when we're kids, we, and we've done this for our kids, we give them a, a children's Bible, you know, and kind of like, here it is, and you know, fancy colors and lots of pictures and more than just maps, and here's a little, I'm not quite sure how a tropical bird fits into the, you know, into the Bible, but it's kind of a, a fun thing here that gets it going, and, and so, but I do know for my older kids too that right now as they're into moving into middle school, the junior high department, they're like, I don't want to bring my kids Bible, Dad. I want to, I need something more here. So we kind of graduate out of that into a big boy Bible, right? And so I remember myself, they got more into the Bible, a little bit more like, okay, it's not quite as colorful, but <clears throat> it's the real thing now, you know? Kind of starting to go, you know, junior high into high school and going, I want to study more and I really want to learn and grow more. And so, you know, this Bible is here. And, and so this is a great thing, but as I wanted to study more, I realized I needed more. And so then you got into Bible study tools. So now this is like the comparative study Bible here. And did you also notice that they're getting bigger? <laughs> it's kind of heavier and stuff. And, and uh, so this is, a, this is a, a tool that's out. So four translations side by side. So you can kind of compare and look and see kind of in terms of language and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of work through. And so this really represented in my life kind of going deeper and digging in to really understand some of, some of the things that are here and trying to make things work with various study tools and stuff. And so that's right there. And then, uh, you know, as you kind of go through, realize you're not really going to take that, you know, easily with you, you know, and all your study tools, but as you study more, you realize, I just want, I just want, and I remember, you know, picking up a thin line, you know, easy, tuck it under here, in your backpack, and your back, you know, somewhere else, gals, if maybe even have, some of you have those little pocket Bibles that just kind of New Testament and Psalms, is that, that good enough, you know, they kind of follow along with. Now, you know, I've studied enough, perhaps, at this point, that, you know, I don't need all the study tools with me all the time, but this is just good stuff. But you'll also notice through here that for a Bible to be truly thin line, that it's got to be truly fine print, right? You know, size five fonts and stuff. So as I reached into my later 40s in, all of a sudden you break out the large print Bible that you can actually read without any sort of reading glasses. Some of you are laughing because you're totally with me on this thing, right? Yeah. So a little bit of collection of Bibles. Of course, now with our phones and with tablets, mine's right here, you know? And I like this, the opportunity to basically pull any translation, all kinds of tools on through here. The evolution of Scripture has been kind of fun to see over the years. But, you know, during this series, we've been taking a look at many different aspects of the Bible. And today, we really want to ask the question, what role can the Bible play in my life? Why should I spend time in the Word regularly? And how can it really help me on a daily basis? And can I actually establish the Bible as the guide for my life? as today's message title says, or do I even want that? I mean, that's the title of today's message, Establish the Bible as the Guide for My Life. And I'm not sure, is that possible? And then do I really want it? Because let's be honest, letting anyone or anything be the guide of my life is a big deal. You know, I'd have to trust them totally, and I'd have to be convinced that they'd do a better job with guiding my life than I can, right? You know, if I'm going to turn that over, well, we're here at church, so I think it's safe to say that many of us would agree that God at least has the potential to be a better God of my life than I am, right? But, but when we start thinking about turning over the day-to-day -day function of our lives to God, right, it's one thing to think conceptually, but the day-to-day, in-and-out, moment-to-moment function of our lives to God, and when we start thinking that the Bible is one of the primary ways God wants to guide us, it can get intimidating. 
I mean, if the Bible is truly the guide for my life, I'd better start spending more time in it and getting to know it a lot better. That's why it's intimidating, right? If it's some sort of a roadmap for my life straight from God, then I'd better start getting to know its layout and its directions. All of a sudden, we're two minutes into a talk here at church, and one more time, you're gonna, you, you start to hear this. You have to spend more time in the Bible this week. You've got to spend more time, more time in the Bible this week. <laughs> but I, I want to stop, and I want to back up for a moment and, and, and start where we all start, with motivations. With motivations, because that's really what we're going to deal with today. I'd ask you a question this. Why, what, why might you be in the Word this week? Why might you do that? And there are some very common motivations, and you might want to jot some of these down in the blank space there on your outline. If you want to get started, your outline there, it just kind of gives, some, gives you some room. And I'm going to cover some common motivations. If some of these resonate with you, you might think of some of your own, but you might want to jot some of these down. That's up to you as we look at them, especially, again, if you can relate. Well, why do you spend time in the Bible? You know what? I know there's the good churchy answers, but honestly, and some of these true are in my own life often on why, what motivates us honestly? Just honestly. You know, you don't have to admit this, but it's here. Here's some common motivations. First of all, I read the Bible to please the pastor at church, right? I can see him on Sunday when, yeah, pastor, I was in the Bible, like you said, and pastor what? He smiles. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it to please the pastor at church, or, or maybe it's please a parent, right, or a friend, or a mentor, or a spouse. Yeah, I'll do it for them. Ever happen? Yeah. Secondly, yeah, perhaps I read the Bible so I can check something off my list and feel better about my spirituality. <laughs> Struggling in life, but at least I got that done. I can feel better about myself. I'm taking steps ahead. Or maybe I read the Bible so I can look good to others. You know, my community group, my family. I was the only one in my community group that did every day this week. <sighs> yeah, they're looking at me like, you got it going. <laughs> How about this one? I read the Bible to try to earn God's approval and love. He certainly will like me more and even love me more if I read his word more frequently, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a part of it. Maybe motivation is I read the Bible so I don't feel guilty when I miss a day, you know, or when I miss a whole week of reading. You know, that feeling comes on, oh man, I'm going to bed and I didn't do it today again. Oh gosh, well, I'll read it at least I won't feel quite so bad, right? Is that ever a motivation? How about this one? I read the Bible out of, I read the Bible <laughs> out of duty because I know I'm supposed to. Just because I know I'm supposed to. And it's kind of like eating Brussels sprouts. I don't like them, but I know they're good for me, so I force a few down, <laughs> Right? Now, do any of these fit for you? I just kind of covered some of the ones that we aren't going to preach at you to do, but I think some of these are true. And why did I think them except that maybe that's been true for me off and on in my life and maybe even sometimes even today, right? You know, if any of these fit, if they do fit, we often find ourselves sitting down and then cramming a few verses down our throats, kind of Brussels sprout style, saying a quick prayer, you know, and that at least partially satisfies that motivation I just mentioned. Okay, I'm at least going to do it and then I can feel a little bit better. But what you'll see in all of these motivations is that you, you are at the core of them. You try harder to please someone else or to make yourself or someone feel better. You try to look good or at least, at least to do the right thing. And the relationship with God is left out. And that's a pretty important piece. It becomes you trying to complete the task rather than focusing on the relational aspect of it. Well, here's a key truth to catch today and you can grab this in your outline. Without the Holy Spirit's involvement and your yielding to him, Bible time will largely be wasted time. Okay? Just effectually, Bible time will largely be wasted time without the Holy Spirit's involvement and your yielding to him. You'll rarely feel satisfied, let alone energized by the Bible, if you don't realize that, that you need to invite the Holy Spirit to motivate you, 
and to inspire you and to bring God's very words to life as you read them. You see, it doesn't start with reading more verses and chapters through personal discipline, you know. It starts with yielding to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe His life into you through the Bible. So it's time to understand that there are some different motivations to spending time with God and His Word other than the ones we just talked about. And it's about relationship with God and really starting with your asking the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, use the Bible. Use the Bible as a tool, right? It's a tool in my heart and my life. It's the Word of God, but it's a way that God, God wants to use that in my life in some way or another. We're going to touch on three things uh, for the rest of the morning here. Three motivations. As establishing the Bible as a guidebook of your life. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do these things and entrench them in our hearts. So first of all, ask the Holy Spirit to use the Bible as a tool to help you grow in knowledge. To help you grow in knowledge. And we're starting with this knowledge piece here. Now, we're sometimes quick to say that the Bible isn't written just for knowledge, right? It's not written just so that we'll get big fat heads of knowledge. Boy, do I know a lot, you know. But the truth is that there is great value. There is great value in growing in knowledge from the Bible. The Bible can speak to our minds tremendously. And in fact, when the Bible speaks to our minds, we can actually, it can actually reveal the mind of God in the process. As our minds expand and we fill our minds with truth and with knowledge, we can understand the mind of God in the process, at least a little bit. I mean, should we be anti-intellectual as followers of Jesus? You know, there's no way I can know everything. Well, there's no way we should be anti-intellectual. And, and Pastor Ron said a few weeks ago, although the Bible was not written as a science book or as a textbook, that wasn't its purpose. I mean, God could have done that, but that's not why he, he gave us the Bible to do those things. So even though it's not those things, it can give you tremendous knowledge that will help you grow in many ways. You know, Jesus affirmed the importance of studying and learning when he spoke with some people of his day. Now, they asked him in Matthew 22, starting at verse 36, they honestly asked him, he said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, right? Why do we overlook that sometime in our enlightened culture? I can't answer all those deep theological questions, those apologetics questions about creation, evolution, all that sort of stuff. So I'm just going to love God with my heart. God says, yes, with your heart, and yes, with your soul, and yes, with your mind. With your mind, that's a good thing. One of the ways we're called to love God is with our minds, and the more we know, the better we can do that. In fact, knowledge can be a great protection against the wrong thinking that goes, or goes on in the world around us. Is there wrong thinking around us? Some of it's really obvious, but I've got to tell you, some of the wrong thinking around us, we adopt we almost don't get that it's wrong. It's subtle. That's how Satan works that. 2 Peter 3.17 says, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, so, so be aware. Be on guard so that, you will be, so that you will not be carried away by the errors, the errors of these wicked people, and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ reading the Bible, studying the Bible, digging in deep to understand the nuances, the language, the history, the culture, the context, all those things, it takes work, but it's worth doing. You see, it all helps us grow in our knowledge of the Holy One. And as we grow in knowledge, we can grow in our respect and honor and love for Him. That's the point, not just to have a fat head, you know? The more I understand about God and His Word and the complexity of Him and His design and who He is and His brilliance, the more I can say, wow! <laughs> That's one great and huge God. I end up having an emotional response to an intellectual pursuit. Right? I start, I understand, I understand. It leads me to, wow, I can't possibly understand this. 
I can't understand this. Now, it is going to take some work, by the way. Studying is work, like I said, but it's worth it. Now, Jesus actually chastised some religious leaders of the day who supposedly, they supposedly had this great knowledge of God and his word, you know. So these leaders, they, these spiritual people, they asked him a tough question. They tried to trap him, you know. If he answered in a controversial way, then they've got him, you know. But instead of defending himself, Jesus went straight after them. In Mark 12, 24, they've asked him this question, and instead of answering the question right away, Jesus' response is this. It says, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And I can just see those religious leaders going, what do you mean I don't know the scriptures? I mean, I'm top of my class in memorizing the, you know, the Bible of the day. And Jesus is saying, you, you, you don't. He says, if you did really study and know the scripture, if you were relying in essence on the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you, you would know God and his power. It's that wow factor as you look into it, you'd know. And then you wouldn't even be asking me these questions. That's what he said. Now he goes on to deal with them. But we can ask the Holy Spirit to use the Bible to help you grow in knowledge, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Knowledge is a huge thing, and don't shy away from that. But it, and it can intimidate us, but it's an important thing. But it doesn't stop there, and it can't stop there, because mere intellectual knowledge on its own isn't enough. It's important, but, but by itself, it can really be a danger. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge by itself can lead to pride in a person and really make them puffy, you know, kind of puffy. I love the way that the, 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 the scripture puts that there. You know, I think we all know people who've gotten a little prideful and puffy in their knowledge about something, whether it's scripture or, you know, anything. Some people are puffy about many things. <laughs> Boy, do I know a lot, right? They speak in a way that makes us feel kind of small and ignorant, and it doesn't feel good, does it? Have you had that? Someone almost talked down to you because they know so much more than you. That's what they're saying. You can actually know scripture so well that you become puffy and you talk, talk down to others. And it becomes about you, and it becomes about pride, and there's no humility, and there's no balance. And Jesus would say, you don't know Scripture. Otherwise, you would truly know me. You'd know the power of God. Oh, all of this knowledge is to reveal God to me, and so that I can reveal God to others, you know? God has more for us than a big growing brain of facts and knowledge, although that's important, but we've got to move beyond that. Well, that's step number two here. A second motivation then to dive into the Word is to ask the Holy Spirit to use the Bible to help you gain God's perspective. Not just grow in knowledge, but gain God's perspective. We do want knowledge, yes, but we want more than that. And through, through spending time in the Bible, we want the Holy Spirit to reveal to us God's perspective, the way He sees things. Show us how God sees things, His view which is way different than the way we see things, right, from our earthly human perspective. This is actually one of the definitions for the word wisdom that I ran across years ago that I like. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Isn't that good? It doesn't cover all the nuances, but seeing life from God's point of view, wouldn't that be great? Because my point of view is so narrow and so stilted and so contrived and so, you know, and we need the Holy Spirit's help with that because because only God can begin to transform our eyes and perspectives as we spend time reading his word and, and his thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 says, and God speaking, he says, my thoughts, they're nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My thoughts are nothing like yours, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Far beyond anything you can imagine. You can't even go there, you know? But we read scripture and we meditate and we ask God to reveal his perspective on the word and on life. And then you need to prepare yourself when you do that. Say, God, I, I want to see things the way you do. I really do. Then you've got to prepare yourself to be just shocked. You've got to prepare yourself to be shocked. Now, 
Do you understand what I mean by that? It's a very true thing because I say that because God's ways, if they were the same as ours, right, and, and exactly what you expect, then they wouldn't be God's ways. They'd be our ways, right? And God just said, not only are they different, but they're way different. So, so God's ways aren't going to always make sense to you. So be prepared. God, I asked to see things your ways, and it's just nothing like I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You see, your ways make sense to you, right? They make sense to you. And check this out. Not always, but Proverbs 14, 12 speaks the truth. There is a way that seems so right to a man or a woman, but in the end, it leads to death. <laughs> so much for your right ideas. It made a lot of sense to me, death. <laughs> made great sense to me, death. God's plan makes sense to him. And not always to us, but that's what we're praying for. Really the ability to see beyond what we see as humans, what we see. To see beyond the temporal, you know, the immediate, the obvious, just the local right here. I think God sees all people and all things, all times at the same time. You know, he's outside of time, so he sees the past and the present and the future all just kind of right there in front of him. He sees how things react, repercussions and effects, all the complexities of life intertwined around the world that's there. And and he doesn't just see it and, and is overwhelmed by it, but he handles it, you know? He's Lord of it all. And Lord, I want to spend time with you in your word, getting to know you better so I can see life from your perspective and not my own, because that would be better. I think of a very real time when God revealed his perspective over time for me. It was back in 1993, almost 20 years ago, when I received the diagnosis that I had multiple sclerosis. And I got to tell you, when I started looking into what that meant, my immediate, immediate view was, this stinks. What is this about, God? You see, I'd followed Jesus most of my life, and I recently had answered his call to move and leave my career in the music, commercial music field in Southern California and become a pastor, a youth pastor. And so a year and a half later, all of a sudden, you know, I get this. Wait a second, does this make any sense? I've tried to remain pure and remain pure waiting for marriage. I'm now into my mid-30s, early to mid-30s, and waiting for marriage, and all of a sudden, waiting for marriage and family, and all of a sudden I think, who, who wants to go ask someone to marry him and say, by the way, I'll probably be in a wheelchair in I don't know how many years. Would it be fair to do that and then to think about having children when, hey, dad's, dad's in bed again because he can't get out. You know, he just can't move much and he can't think much, but good old dad, you know. I'm flooded with these thoughts and these emotions, and you know what? It's lousy. From my view, it's lousy. Well, long story short, God's view is very different. God's view, John, you need this. You need this so you can, be, you can start becoming the man that I created you to be. You need this to learn. You need this to learn to trust me, God said. You need this to, to soften up so you can hopefully become even half the husband your future wife deserves. You need this so you can have a chance to understand humility and sensitivity in ministry as well as future family life. Over time, God gave me some wisdom in the months and the years after my MS diagnosis, and I got to the point when I could say, spending time with him, seeing, trying to understand him, time in the word, where I could say, thank you for allowing me to face multiple sclerosis. Thank you for allowing this to be in my life. I don't think he caused it, but he allowed it. And I could honestly say, God, you knew what you were doing, and it was best. Is that a different view? It, it wasn't my view. And I'm not saying, ooh, look how great John is. John's view was and would probably still be lousy, stinks. God's view says, needed, necessary, molding, shaping, transforming. God's view 
God's working in my body physically, by the way. I didn't say anything first service, and I had a bunch of questions afterwards. I'm on a treatment, and God's been using it, but it, I, I've learned to trust him every day because I need him every day for health and life. And I always did, but I'm else having this multiple sclerosis helped me get it finally. So there's my little sidebar. Wisdom, wisdom. Proverbs 16:16 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? I was going over my notes last night, and my kids were watching because we get an early start on Christmas. We were watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Silver and gold, you know, that, that the snowman sings and all that stuff. And I right when I was said, hey, I'm reading this too. Silver and gold for Christmas. No, wait. How much better to get wisdom than gold, red nose or not, right? And good judgment than silver. Oh, I want that. And it's not just going to come because I gotta, I'm going to do something. Holy Spirit. Give me your perspective, God's perspective as I spend time in your word. And the Bible can do that for us. And that's, that's great motivation to spend time with God. Well, a third motivation to spend time in the word is to ask the Holy Spirit to use the Bible to help you become like Jesus. To help you become like Jesus. Now, God wants you to spend time with him in the Bible because the more you spend time with someone, the more you become like that person. You found that to be true? You make a new friend, and all of a sudden you start spending time with them, and, and then you start picking up their slang and their little mannerisms, their gestures, or the way they do things or whatever, their little, their little terminology. This kind of happens. You become like who you spend time with. One of my older kids, not one of my little ones, all of a sudden started talking baby talk at home again, and we were a long ways from little baby kissy talk, you know, which is kind of cute when they're a baby, but older kind of, and it's happening again and again, and kind of rubbed me a little bit. Well, then all of a sudden his friends came over, and I went, ah, the one friend. Friends talking baby talk, kind of cute. My son thinks it's kind of cute. He's going to talk baby talk a little bit here and there. I get it. You start becoming like who you spend time with, it for better or for worse, right? <laughs> Shove the baby talk. <laughs> Colossians 3.10, and I love this verse. It says this, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Become like him. God gives us a new nature in Jesus, and we put it on. We're renewed by the Holy Spirit, and we can learn to know God and actually become like him. What a huge motivation to spend time in the Word and, and to let it be the guidebook for our life. And honestly, the things we see Jesus do are the things that, that he wants to build in us. And what did Jesus do? He loved, he gave, he sacrificed, he served. He was his Father's precious Son, he reveals his motivation. He, re, he does in John 6, 38. He says, Jesus says, For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Even Jesus, who was God himself in the form of man, said, It's not about me. And then he says, Be like me. So, Jesus, you want me to say it's not about me? It's a good start. Jesus was obedient to God the Father's will. And we're called to do that, too. We're called to do that. Loving God and becoming like Jesus means we'll start to be more obedient to his call and his purposes for us. And in John 14, starting at verse 15, Jesus is speaking and says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus says, Spend time with me. With me. See my obedience and selflessness, and do the same yourselves. And he's quick to say, Oh yeah, <laughs> before I forget, since that is impossible to do on your own, you know, that whole, you know, live for other people and not yourself. God's sending you the Holy Spirit to give you the desire and the power to actually begin doing those things. You know, we hear Jesus, we see Jesus, we hear the word, and we respond. We, we have to respond. 
James 1.22, when we read this verse earlier, it's about our response. It says, do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Because that's just deceit when you listen. Do what it says. It's response there. Reading for knowledge is great, but it's not enough. Studying to understand God's perspective is really good, but it's not enough. God's goal through Scripture is to reveal Himself to us and then to change us to become like Jesus as we encounter Him in spirit and in truth. And in a sense, at the bottom there of your outline, in a sense, God has a part and you have a part, really. God's part, it says right there, in, in many things, but includes illumination, revelation, conviction, transformation. He really has the hard part, you know, the God-sized part that we can't possibly do. That's his role in it. But then it doesn't stop there. Our part is to respond to that. Our part is to actually read Scripture and to go ahead and study it and to meditate on it, chew on it, and to memorize it, and to practice it. Let him, let it and let him change you. Let him change you. And it won't happen because you have a Bible sitting on your bedside table, you know, whichever one of these or your own choice, you know, or on your phone or whatever. It won't happen just because it's there. To grow in knowledge and to gain God's perspective and to become like Jesus, we see that the Bible is indeed the guidebook we need for our lives when it's in the hands of the Holy Spirit. So folks, open it, study it, meditate, memorize, and then do it. Let God change you in the process. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Chance we've had to spend a little more time looking at your word, spending time in the Bible, looking at the Bible. And God, realizing that our motivations sometimes are just out of whack. <laughs> we're doing it for, for the practice. We're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the task and not the relationship. Father, I just pray that, that today and this week that you, you draw us, your Holy Spirit, Lord, open us up, draw us into relationship with you that would help us grow in knowledge, yes, and to grow in wisdom, yes, and to change to become more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.